So good. Um, man, fun stuff. I love that church is fun and different, that it's not always the same. Um, if, you, if you didn't know already, I like change. I like th- changing things up. I like when it's not always in a rut. Um, I do like some consistency and faithfulness. I, I'm pretty faithful in who I am to God, but I do like changing things up. And so um, this morning, I... It's so funny. I love how God always changes things up, right? I, I have probably less time than I normally do, and I have probably more pages of notes than I normally do. Um, but I, it's going to be good because I love, I do. I do love being led by the Holy Spirit where I have a plan, and then God says, nice plan, and he throws it out the window. Um, or he says, well, use parts of it, and it's always good. And so this morning, my heart is, hopefully that's what's conveyed, is I want to take a little bit of what's going on here in the physical stage and what's going on kind of in the global setting, we just prayed for Israel, what's going on in Israel right now, um, there's, Jesus is coming back quickly, if you didn't know that. And just, I'm not going to touch and like state a whole thing on one subject, but I want to tie in what's going on in Israel, what's going on on our stage, and really most importantly, what's God doing in your life? And how are these all connecting? And I'm praying the Holy Spirit somehow weaves this all together really quickly. Um, so I'll start off. Um, if you didn't know, I had the great privilege of going to Israel, not just to visit for a week-long tour, but I got to study there when I was in college. I got to go to Jerusalem, Uni- Jerusalem University College, JUC, and it's at the, um, I lived inside the old city walls. I got to stay in a hotel just inside the city walls so for like four or five months. I was living in Jerusalem, going to a school that the school property was physically connected to the outside of the city walls. So that's where all my camp, uh, all my classes were, and it was just an incredible I'll never forget all the things, well, I can't remember all the things I learned, but I'll never forget what God did in me, um, and it's so good. And I'm using that as an example because I got to go through a gate, Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem every day, every single day, multiple times. I was going in and out of gate in Jerusalem, and I want to throw up a picture. Is Randy back there? Are you ready for my pictures yet? Um, I got a picture of Jerusalem, and starting from the top, the north, Herod's Gate, I'm going to go counterclockwise. If you didn't know, there's eight gates in Jerusalem, and I promise this is going to make sense. It isn't, I'm not going to quiz you on history if you remember all eight. That's, this is not what we're doing. But I just want to give you some context. So there's Herod's Gate, Damascus Gate, Newgate, Jaffa Gate. That's where I lived. I was right inside Jaffa. Like, literally, I could throw a rock outside my hotel and go outside that gate. Um, and then if you go down the corner, that southernmost corner, that's where my school was, real close to Zion Gate. Then there's Dung Gate. Yes, that's where they throw out the poop. Um, and then Golden Gate or the Eastern Gate or the Gate of Mercy. There's lots of names for that. Um, Lion's Gate. These are all the gates. There's something very unique. When I went to Israel, I saw that seven of the eight gates were open. And some cars could drive through. Some were small. Only people could walk through. Um, but there was one that was closed. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. There's a significance of this one gate that's closed. And so it is... The Eastern Gate, and if you can't tell, um, it says Dome of the Rock right there. That is the Temple Mount, that little tan square and that kind of weird shape. That's the Temple Mount. That's where currently a Muslim mosque resides, Dome of the Rock. But it's also the same Temple Mount where um, Solomon's Temple was and Herod's the Second Temple where Jesus went in and out. Um, and Jerusalem, if you read Revelation and times, there will be a new heaven, a new earth. There'll be a new Jerusalem, and Jesus will come back into Jerusalem again. And so I want to read to you just some kind of cool information, uh, kind of historical context, but I promise it's going to connect to what's going on in our sanctuary and hopefully what's going on in your life. Um, let's see. If I read some things rather than just telling you, let's see, let's see. Um, let's do this. Yeah, let's read some stuff. So one of the most famous gates is the double-arched golden gate. So throw up the next picture. So next picture is, oh, no, go, go one before. Sorry. 
Yeah, let's do this one. I'll, I won't read. I'm just going to talk. This is better. So the Eastern Gate, can you see like that's what the Temple Mount looked like during Jesus' day? So if you didn't know, this is a recreation of what we believe in archaeology shows. And if you can't tell, there's like a little door right down there. That's actually the outside of the Western Wall, the Eastern Wall. That's part of Jerusalem. The wall that protected the actual Temple Mount was a wall. And there's a little stairway and there's a little gate there. That's the Eastern Gate. Out of all the gates you can go into Jerusalem, this is the only gate that led you straight to the Temple. So I just wanted to show that picture. So that's what it would have looked like in Jesus' day. Now go to the picture that's kind of far away. Perfect. So this is looking across your, we're kind of in the bottom of the valley. If you were to be where you, if you were to be up higher over here, you'd be on um, the Mount of Olives. You'd be a Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus hung out and he would look down and see over that wall. Because if you didn't know, Mount of Olives is higher than the Temple Mount. And so you could look down into the, the temple, see everything. So you can kind of see the dome of the rock. Do you see that little gold thing there? That's about where the temple would have been. But if you look where the tall part of the wall is, that's the gate, and it's closed up. And you, go to the next picture. We finally see it. This is the closed gate. Out of all eight gates, it's the only one still currently closed. It's been closed for over 500 years. In the Ottoman Empire, there was a... Um, oh, I can find his name if you really want to know all those things. Um, but there was a Suleiman that he decided to close up this gate when he was in charge of Jerusalem because he heard that there was prophetic words that the Messiah would return and come back into Jerusalem through this gate. So he said, then let's shut this one up so there's no Messiah. We don't want to make sure no Messiah gets into this and overrules my kingdom. So he, it's 12 feet of concrete, 12 feet of concrete blocking that double arch open way. Um, he did things on top of that. Uh, you can kind of really, can't really see from this picture, but if you saw from the last picture, he made it a Muslim graveyard. He made a cemetery because he knew that a good Jew would defile himself if he walked through a graveyard and then he couldn't come triumphantly into the, Jerusalem. So he was doing all these things to make sure Jerusalem wouldn't have their Messiah come through that gate again. But I want to read to you from the, from the book of Ezekiel. So if you want to open up your Bibles, Ezekiel... I don't know, a little, a little more past halfway. Um, I'll have the verses up on the screen behind us, but if you want to make sure we're reading Scripture, you can grab your Bible and, and look, read along. Um, but let me read, as you're getting your Bible open up to Ezekiel, let me read to you just a couple more statements. Um, let's see, I told you that. Oh, yeah, so I told you Jesus would have gone in through this. I'll read some more information. Um, this gate is located in the eastern wall of the Temple Mount, directly across the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives. The golden gate, or the eastern gate that exists in Jesus' time, was the gate through which Jesus probably gained access to the city after visiting his friends in the village of Bethany on the Mount of Olives. It was the gate through which Jesus must have entered the city on Palm Sunday. The gate through which he probably exited the city the night of the Last Supper to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the gate Jesus passed through 40 days after his resurrection when his disciples accompanied him to the Mount of Olives on the site from which he ascended to heaven. So there's tons of Bible verses. I won't go all that, but it's just giving you biblical context that Jesus was going in and out of Jerusalem all the time. We don't know for a fact because it's not written verbatim, but most likely what makes the most common sense is Jesus stayed at Mary, Martha, Lazarus' house all the time in Bethpage, which is near the Mount of Olives. And so that would have been the closest way to come down the Mount of Olives to get into Jerusalem. You would have gone through the Eastern Gate. That's where Jesus would have gone in and out probably more than any other gate. And I gave you some historical context of Bible verses when he was doing that. But it's important. Jesus went through this gate all the time, all the time. And there's prophetic declarations about a Messiah going through that gate. And I won't go through all of them, but we know that on Palm Sunday, I just read, he went through that. The Messiah went through that gate. 
and the presence of God came back into that temple um, area. Let me read you this, a few more things. According to Jewish tradition, the Shekinah, or divine presence, used to appear through this gate and will appear again when the Messiah comes, Ezekiel 44. We'll get there in a second. And a new gate replaces the present one. In Christian eschatology, or end times, sunrise at east refers to Christ's resurrection at dawn on Easter Sunday. Are you catching all this? So the sun rises in the east. Everyone knows this. You know you went back to school. Remember this? Sets in the west, rises in the east. So just like Jesus is again coming again, we're expecting Jesus to come like in Jerusalem. We're looking to the east, the Mount of Olives. I can give you more, all kinds of, I don't have time to go through all of them. There's tons of Bible verses that are prophesying that Jesus is going to return his second coming. And it says that up on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split open when Jesus returns and he's going to come back into Jerusalem. Don't have time to explain all of that, but I promise you it's there. It's in our eschatology as Christians. Um, so let me say this. So Christian sanctuaries are often oriented for congregational worship with an altar facing east. I don't know how I went to Bible college and I didn't know that till this last week. It's not a hard, fast rule. I don't even know if Pastor Stiles knew that because the first sanctuary was over here, the prayer chapel. But does anybody know, anyone really good with directions? This is Osborne Street right here. We have the five freeway going this way over here. So which way's north? That way's north. South, Osborne goes from west to east. So which way is our sanctuary facing? East. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a godsidence. There's things that God wants to bring his glory, his Shekinah glory, his presence. And I don't want to get weird on you like God can't show up in your home and he can't show up. If we had our church chase there, he can't. Don't get weird on me, right? But I just love that God connects things. I love that our, we are redoing our east wing of our sanctuary. And there's been prophetic words that God's presence and glory would burst forth from this east wall. And it's had bricks on it for the last several decades. And the bricks were not evil or wrong. I love bricks. Jen would like to buy a brick house. I love, it has nothing to do with bricks. But I'm just letting you know that God is doing something in the physical and the spiritual. And I'm trying to connect it. There's, in Jerusalem, Jesus is gonna return and he's gonna come through a closed gate. We are breaking forth new ground in remodeling this platform, right? God wants to do the same thing in your life. There are areas in your life that might be walled up. Nick was talking about during worship. He had no idea I was going to talk about these things. But there's things in your life that might be, they're difficult. There's pain. There's things from the past. There's things that you've experienced. And it's caused where the Holy Spirit can't come in and out of your life very easily. And I'm trying to make the connection quick from all the way from end times to what's going on in the war in Israel to what's going on physically in our room to what's physically going on in your heart. God wants to do something. He wants to have freedom to flow and to move. So really quick, we're gonna do some really quick jumping through Ezekiel. Um, Let's do it. Ezekiel chapter 10. Let's read a couple of verses. This is one of the, there's a lot of sad verses in the Bible. This is probably one of the saddest, scariest verses in the Bible. Um, Before I read it, I know you're probably reading it as I'm talking. It's all right. Um, Giving you context, Ezekiel was a prophet and he was alive and prophesying when um, the northern tribe of Israel had already been taken captivity into Assyria and now Babylon was coming for the Judah, the southern, and where Jerusalem is. And so he's prophesying. He's saying, you guys like on your last leg, like you're this close away from being exiled. And so he's prophesying and he, he has this vision. He sees the glory of God 
leaving the temple. So we'll read it, right? It says this, verse 18, 10 to 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold over the temple and stood over the cherubim. Next verse. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them and they stood at the door of the east gate to the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was above them. Which gate? Where were they? Which direction? East. So the glory of God, you guys are putting on, you guys are remembering, right? The Ark of the Covenant, David, even before David's time, Moses created the Ark of the Covenant. And wherever they took that, the glory of God was there. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. You guys are remembering this Old Testament study? And then they created a sanctuary. David uh, wanted to create a temple. God said, no, that's going to be your son Solomon. And so Solomon finally builds the temple. And there's this big coronation day, slaughters thousands of bulls and all these things. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the most holy place. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled Solomon's temple. And God's glory, his presence was in that temple until Ezekiel's day. And now Ezekiel is prophesying hundreds and hundreds of years later. He's saying, the glory of God is about to leave the temple. This is the saddest verse in the Bible. Oh, quick, man. This is a rabbit hole. I can get really in trouble. I believe both. I believe once saved, always saved. I believe also you have a free will and you can backslide and turn your back on Jesus how do I have verses to prove both? And I drive either pastors nuts because they say I have to pick one or the other. And I say, I pick both. That's me. I always say yes to everything, right? So I can show and prove to you that nothing can separate you from the love of God. But I can also tell you, you can defy yourself just from the story of Ezekiel, the story of God's people, that if they kept disobeying, kept disobeying, kept disobeying, they had thousands of opportunities to repent and they will not repent. Eventually God's glory will lift. I can go story after story. King Saul, right? The first king. He was anointed. He was listening to God. Disobedience after disobedience after disobedience. Finally, God said, all right, I'm leaving. And God's presence lifted off of Saul and went on to King, little boy David, right? I can go story after story. The scariest thing that you can ever hear is that you can know God and you can disobey and disobey and disobey. And at some point, God says, I will remove my hand of blessing and my hand of presence on you and you get to live your life how you want to live your life. That's a scary, sobering truth. This is what happened in Ezekiel 10. Praise God, God is a God of mercy. And that's actually the Eastern Gate's called the Mercy Gate as well. So we'll skip from Ezekiel chapter 10. Let me find where I'm at. To Ezekiel 43. So Ezekiel is prophesying. They're in exile. He's saying, don't worry, God is a gracious God. So he says this, after this, the man brought me back around to the east gate. This is a, an angel taking Gabriel, oh, good golly, taking Ezekiel, right? Suddenly the glory of the God of Israel appeared from the east. The sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters and the whole landscape shone with his glory. I'm gonna keep reading from this one, it's easier for me. The vision was just like the others I had seen, first by the Kabar River and when he'd come to destroy Jerusalem. I fell face down on the ground. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the east gateway. Then the spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Which direction again? East gate. Ezekiel was prophesying to a forsaken people, to people that had done their own thing, and now they're repenting and crying out for mercy. And God, he's prophesying, God will return. God loves you enough and has enough mercy, he will forgive you and he can fill your temple again with glory, both physically and spiritually. 
I don't know. I was saying that's one of the scariest verses of chapter 10. Verse 43 is one of the most encouraging verses in Scripture. That God can fill this temple with his glory. I don't have all the verses, but you guys know in the New Testament, Paul talks about this, right? That your body is the living sanctuary, a living temple. That you are the place where God is, wants to dwell. He doesn't want to dwell in a house made with bricks or made of clay. He wants to dwell in you. From the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, he's always wanted to be with people. So God is not confined to this Osborne Neighborhood Church sanctuary. But I love there's connections. God wants to bring his glory and his presence from the sanctuary into your life so that you become the temple of the living God. That we can be filled. I love this. I, mean, I don't have time to go on this, but I love that Ezekiel fell down, fell face down on the ground. There's some people doing that this morning. It's biblical. Let's move on because I got more I want to say and I got not a lot of time. So Ezekiel 44, verse 1 through 2. Then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. There we go. It was shut. The Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside the gateway to eat in the presence of the Lord. He is to enter by way of the portico of the gateway and go out in the same way. Then the man brought me by the way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord, and I fell face down. So I'll stop there. Which way does the prince of peace, the king of glory, how does he enter the temple? From what gate? East. East. Ezekiel goes to the north gate. I don't have time. You can put this in your notes if you want. Ezekiel 46, read it. I've actually preached on it years before. It says this. It says the people are supposed to come into the temple either from the south or the north. But if you come in from the south gate, you have to leave out the north gate. If you come in from the north gate, you have to leave the south gate. What if you live north and you came from the north? Then you have to go all the way to the south and make all the way around. Why is that? I'll tell you a second. The king of glory, he can go in and come out the same way. The people, you go in one way, you have to come out a different way. In other words, when you spend time in God's presence, you should come out looking different than the way you went in. Jesus never changes. There's no shadow of turning with him. He is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. So he can come in and out the same way he wants. You and I, every time we come in the presence of God, he wants to change us. He wants to reveal his glory. He wants to reveal himself to us. And in that, we should say, we don't measure up. God, I want to become like you. God, here I am. In a sense, like this stage right now, God, remove things that need to be removed. God, encourage and build up things that need to be encouraged and built up. Oh, man. I will have time, I think. On Wednesday, I shared this, and I felt like I'm supposed to share it again today. There's things that when you were in your mother's womb, it says the Lord knit you together. Yes, physically, he was causing your organs to grow and causing you to physically grow and develop in your mother's womb, but it means way more than that. He was giving you a part of his identity. There are things that you reflect the image of God different than I do. Everyone in this room, we, we bear the image of God. And it says that we were knit together in our mother's womb, meaning that we are meant 
to reveal God's glory. We have a unique identity, a unique, all of us have different fingerprints, right? We're all different. There are things about who you are that will never change for all of eternity. God created you that way and that's permanent. You wanna hear the other side? There's things about your identity right now that are not supposed to be part of your identity. I've said it several times from this pulpit. Well, I'm not a natural born leader because that's how I viewed myself, but that's not how God views me. I adopted something about my identity that God never gave me. And I needed that to be removed. I still am working on that being removed. There's things about who you say you are. Well, that's just my personality. That's just who I am. And God says, no, that's not who you are. I want to remove that. I want to change that. I want you not to say that anymore. But it's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he's disgusted with who you are. No, he wants to reveal who you really are. And this is blocking him from you seeing who you really are. I hope I'm making sense. You've got to change. Every time, it's not just coming to church. Every time I spend time with God, I want to change. Every time I read his word, I want him to reveal something to me that I need to work on. I want him for me to work out my salvation, but also I want him to do a supernatural work where it's not me just striving, it's just me simply receiving by grace through faith and him making me altogether a new creation, right? I love Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul is saying there's things about me that need to die. But he also says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things made new. Meaning, I'm not just striving to not be this one anymore. No, that is not who I am. I no longer have a lust for the flesh. I no longer have this pride of myself. No, I'm a new creation. I don't desire to do the same ugly things I used to do because God has done a supernatural work in me. Is, is this making sense? There's things that you have to work on that God wants to come, Holy Spirit comes alongside you and he helps you to overcome those things. And there's other things he wants to come along and just remove from your life. It's both. I wish I could say it's one or the other. It's both. Praise God, it's both. All right, I gotta get there. We read Ezekiel 44, Ezekiel 46. That's kind of the coming in and going out. Ezekiel 47. Let's spend time just reading it. I'm going to read it from the NIV. I've read it from multiple translations, but Ezekiel 47, 1 through 9, it says this. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from underneath the threshold of the temple toward the, what direction? East. He saw water coming out of the threshold of the temple towards the east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. So I don't have time to explain all this, but water was flowing east of the temple, but it was flowing from the south entrance. Is that making sense? So where the people go in and out, that's where the water was flowing, but it went towards the east. We'll read more. Hopefully it makes sense. He then brought me out to the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the waters that were ankle deep. So are you, are you picturing this? I don't know if you guys know. I don't, I don't think I have a picture of it. Jerusalem, where it's pictured, it's, it's more in the middle of Israel, but it's in the southern part of Israel. To the east of it, 
is the Dead Sea. Jordan, Jordan River, Galilee, Lake, that's where Jesus did a lot of his ministries in northern Israel, right? Sea of Galilee, and water comes down the Jordan River, and it dumps off into the Dead Sea. Israel is to the west of that. So water flowing from east outside the temple goes towards the Dead Sea, because it's important. We'll get there eventually. But I want you to understand, like, geography. So he measured a 1,000. It was ankle deep, right? Verse 4. He measured off another 1,000 cubits and led me through the waters that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it, empties its, when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. I'm going to say that last line again. Wherever the river flows, I'm going to say it again, everything will live. Jesus wants to come into your life. And for many in this room, I think he's already come into your life. But he doesn't want to just save you and give you a ticket to heaven. He wants to fill you with himself. Not just in ankle deep water. He wants to get you to a place where you are in over your head. Where you don't get to control your life. Where you are so filled that he has flooded your life. And then, if you're reading the temple, you are the temple. You're not just filled with a measure. You begin to flow. Rivers of living water flow out of you is what Jesus says. My desire is that you don't just get a fill. That you just get, you come to church, you spend time with God to get a measure of his presence. No, God, I want all of you. I've said it before. It's one of the most ridiculous verses in the Bible because my brain just cannot comprehend it. But you can be filled with the fullness of God. God is an infinite God. It doesn't make sense in this finite brain. But an infinite God wants to dwell in you. So it's not just, oh, I have a measure of Jesus. It's no, he has flooded my life. Can I say this? Flood. Noah and the flood, what happened? The world was full of sin. God flooded and purged and got rid of all the evil, washed it all away. Man, I don't know, when I was a youth pastor, I did this. I don't know if it makes sense without the analogy. Let's see if it works, right? I, if I had a, a, a tall glass cup that you could see through full of Coke, I like, I like drinking Coke, probably not good, but I do. And it's like this dark black liquid, right? And I have a big, huge pitcher of fresh water. I can pour a little bit of fresh water in there and it has some fresh water in that Coke. But it's still Coke, but it's got some fresh water in there. But it's an amazing thing. If I take this huge pitcher and I just begin to flow and flow and fill and fill and it's overflowing, what it does is it overflows all that dark Coke until it's amazing, it becomes crystal clear and it's filled with nothing but fresh water. This is what God wants to do in your life. 
He doesn't want to give you a measure of himself so that you're just a mixture of Coke and water, sin and purity. He wants to fill you with his fullness, flooding you so that everything that doesn't belong comes out of you. And then you begin to flow. Things come out of you. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are filled to flow. That everywhere you go, you splash out. You give off rivers of living water, right? What was that last verse? So that wherever the river flows, everything will live. Everywhere you go, you bring life. Everywhere you go, rivers of living water flow out of you. You're not just the one receiving. You're the one actually giving away. That's what God has designed for you. Every single one of us are ministers of the gospel. There is a five-fold ministry, what? To equip the saints for what? The working of the ministry. It's not up for the pastor or someone else up front to do all the ministry. God's intention is for you to be ministers. For you to come into the Holy of Holies and to minister to God. To spend time in His presence, loving on God, ministering to Him. And He fills you with His presence. He fills you with His glory. The train of His robe fills the temple with glory it pushes everything out all of his power and authority which is what his robe represents it pushes everything else out and you are filled with his glory and now you are able to minister from the overflow from being flooded with his presence flooded with his joy flooded with his goodness flooded with his kindness flooded with his power and authority you name it whatever it is who jesus is you're flooded with jesus and it flows out of you. I don't, I don't know if you can tell. I'm excited that this isn't just a coincidence that we're removing bricks from an eastern wall. The king of glory wants to come in. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and let the king of glory come in. Who is this king of glory? Yes. The Lord Almighty, all-powerful, He's the only one that is supposed to have entrance into your heart. Man, I don't, I don't know why this keeps coming to my mind. When I was a youth pastor, we went to, on a youth camp, and we played a song. I'm guessing it was 20 times in a row. Clear the stage. We just played this song on repeat over and over and over again. And what God was doing, he was flooding us. Leaders, pastor, the kids, everyone. We were just being flooded with all Anything that wasn't God, we were clearing the stage and it was this song about idols. Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want to spend more time doing this than spending time in his presence, it becomes an idol. Is watching TV a sin? No, unless you want to do that more than spend time with God. I'll be bold. I won't look right at the person. I told someone a week or so ago, get rid of your phone. Delete the app. Put it away. I don't know. Live a whole week without a phone. Figure it out. At some point, get rid of it. It's an idol. I get it. I have a phone. I got to contact my family. At some point for this person, no. I don't care if you get contacted. I don't care if it's an emergency. Get rid of it. You've got to clear the stage. You've got to remove something that's keeping you from being on fire for God. Hmm. All right. I don't know about you, but... I don't want to leave here the same way I came in. I am hungry 
for the manifest Shekinah presence of God. God is everywhere I know. He's an all omnipresent. He's everywhere. But I read in scripture, and when he shows up, entire armies fall on their face. Angel armies fall on their face. Moses spends time in his presence. His face is changed. Moses says, unless your presence goes, I'm not going anywhere. Unless I get a measure of your presence, I'm staying here. I'm waiting here until I get changed. I'm not saying you all have to stay here for five more days until something happens. I, I get it. I got a birthday party. I got things to do. At the same time, I'm hungrier for God's presence than I am for anything else in my life. As the worship team comes back on up, and I know I'm over, I'm just going to invite you. If you weren't weirded out, we're a weird church. People fall on their face and they stay there. My son was on there while the announcements are going. Like, that's weird, right? I don't care. I just want more of God at any cost. So what I'd love for you to do is I'm going to give you some freedom. But this, I don't know, this thought came to my mind and maybe it's Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just me being weird. Oh, well. I think most of us came in from the North Gate. We came in through the foyer and we came into the sanctuary through the North Gate. I'm just going to invite you. I'm not going to force you. We're going to try something. I'm going to open up these doors in a second. And I'm just going to invite you, just as a physical representation, right? It doesn't mean anything overly weird. It's just I want, I want, to, rep- I want to know that I'm doing everything I can to come in one way and leave different. Does it mean that God's presence is only up here on the stage and God's presence can't move in the sound booth? No. I've seen Bert crying his head off, running sound, enjoying the presence of God over there. But there is something about God's presence flowing. And I want to get in on that river. I, want, I don't want to look at it from the banks. I don't want to be an observer. I want to jump all in. And I want everything that God has for me. So I'm just going to encourage you. We're going to sing one last worship song. If you've got to go pick up kids and all those other things, can I just encourage you, indulge your pastor, go out a different door and then go back around. I get it. We don't have a court, nice courtyard out there. It's like loud, busy street. But if you're just doing something to say, all right, I get it. I want the king of glory to come into my life and I want to be changed, amen? So would you stand with me? We're going to worship God and you're free to leave whenever you want to leave. But I encourage you, just spend some time in God's presence. If you want to come get closer to the the Eastern Gate, and I didn't have all the words, it's a Golden Gate, it's a Mercy Gate, it's all these different names. Oh, and I got to say this one. It's also the Beautiful Gate. That Jesus, in all of his power, glory, and splendor, and authority, he's also beautiful. He's the bright and morning star. He's the Rose of Sharon. So God, I just, I take your words of truth this morning. I recognize that I need to be changed. There's things in my life, God, as you said this morning, there's parts of my identity that I describe myself, this is who I am. But God, I yield to you. Who do you say that I am? 
God, there's things I think about you that aren't true. God, would you change my mindset? Would you change my thinking? Would you restore? Hmm. So God, I thank you there's joy. I thank you that there's a beautiful breakthrough. God, it's not just a heaviness. It's not just a hard-heartedness. It's not just this repentance that always looks like I'm just crying and I'm sad. God, it's, it's with a joyful delight, I choose you. A joyful delight, I let go of something else and I choose you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I'm just gonna invite, there might be someone in this room that you need to get your life right with God. You need to let go of something. I invite you, come on forward before you leave. If you want prayer, come on forward before you leave. If not, join us one last worship song and have a great rest of your day. God bless you guys.